Well, church, I'm delighted that you're here with us today uh, as I'm going to continue with part three in my sermon series on evangelism in the 21st century. Today's topic of the sermon is called Preaching the Essential Elements of the Gospel. Preaching the Essential Elements of the Gospel. When you go out to the world, you're going to need to know exactly how you should present the gospel. Now, let me give you a couple of tips of what not to say. Don't say, you're going to hell. <laughs> Don't say, I hope you like hot weather. <laughs> Don't say, I hope you like wearing rags for eternity. You see, these are not good things to bring people into the fold and to talk about the love of Jesus. Uh, and it's not relevant to the gospel as God wants us to present it. And so we need to understand, you see, what are the essential elements of the gospel as we present it. Now, today, the word gospel has largely lost its meaning uh, in the current culture. Uh, and I believe that most Americans, and this may surprise you, I believe that most Americans have not really heard the true gospel. Now, what is the gospel? What is it? What elements must it include in order for it to be accurate? And are there false gospels? Are there false gospels that we must be aware of? And you cannot just leave this to pastors and, and theologians. And I would say this, that if you have a television set and you watch any number of these televangelists, you will see much of what I call the false gospel of Christ. And that's our job today to make sure we deliver to you the accurate, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are two important reasons, you see, for knowing what is the gospel. And that is, first of all, we want to make sure that we personally have heard the true gospel and have responded to it. Our eternal destiny hangs on that. Secondly, the eternal destiny of all we come into contact with also determines this as well. And so the first sermon point I have for you today is this. We, as Christians, are responsible for dispensing the truth of God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, where Paul speaks eloquently on this issue. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So you see that we must be careful and be accurate in what we are presenting. It's not your opinion. It's not your philosophy. It is the truth of God. Uh, and we have to be mindful of the fact that many people have just heard false gospels. And we want to disabuse them of that. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Now, be mindful of the fact that this is within probably 20, 15 to 20 years of Jesus dying on the cross and establishing his church. Look what he says here. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. 
and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's Paul, first century, warning the church that there's false gospels, there's false teachings, and be aware of it. Be aware of it. It surrounds you, and people have been really duped by this. Uh, and so we need to be aware. If this took place in the first century church, how much more 2,100 years later uh, does this stuff permeate uh, in, in society? And so here's, here's the kind of thing that you need to be able to say to people as you come in contact with them. First, the bad news, uh, and that is that we all stand as sinners before a holy God. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have fallen. All are short. None of us on our own are ready to meet God. None of us. And that's the first message that you give to the lost people. Sermon point here is this. God has given us, you see, the Ten Commandments to outline to us how far we have fallen from the mark. This is meant to be a mirror to open our eyes. God never gave the Ten Commandments uh, with the presupposition that we would reach them all and follow them perfectly. He knew from the moment he gave them to Moses, no one would follow it. No one. But the idea was that we would recognize we are fallen and recognize that we need a Savior. And so this is a wonderful way for you to begin your presentation. Ask your hearers, as you talk to them, uh, if they have ever broken any commandment. And if they're honest, they will say yes. Uh, and, and the Bible makes it clear, you see, and this is what you can say to them. The Bible makes it clear that even one violation, one violation puts us out of God's will. Here's the scorecard that I give people, which I call God's scorecard. 100% is an A. 99% is an F. That's your holy God. That's how you have to recognize what God has for you and why the gospel is so critical. Uh, ask them how they think that God reacts to them breaking the commandments. Look at James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Guilty of breaking all of it. This is important that people recognize that this is the holiness of God. Don't tell me how good you are uh, or what a good father or a good husband you are. You're defining goodness in human terms, not in divine terms. Uh, and this is hard for most people to hear uh, because they have an innate feeling that they are good people. And most people, you see, believe in the inherent goodness of man. Yet the Bible says that man is inherently evil. Man is inherently not good. And that's the message that you have to give to people. Look at Psalm 53, verse 2. 
God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understands any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. That psalm was written a thousand years before Christ would come. And so you recognize the, the uh, despairing nature of humanity. And this is what you have to give to the people that you talk to about the gospel. And so we need to emphasize when we tell people this, that this does not mean that there are some people who are doing good things, that there are some people who are attempting to live good lives. Rather, it means that our goodness is being defined by ourselves and not by God. Because you see, God defines human goodness as filthy rags. The Bible is very clear about that. Uh, our sermon point for you here is this. Our human goodness is insufficient to a holy God. We have to really come to terms with how holy and sovereign God is. Uh, how he repudiates sin. How he cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. And you want the best example of that? Look at Jesus on the cross, perfect in every way until he became the sin carrier for all time, for all humanity. And the skies were darkened and God walked away from him because God could not be in the presence of evil, even as it was embodied in Jesus Christ at that point. Father, why have you forsaken me? Because that's God. That's the holiness of God, and we have to recognize this. And so we cannot define holiness in human terms, and we have to tell our people as we deliver the message. Look, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6. As, as you see God reaching out to, to this terrible state of humanity, and there it says, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the message you see, that Christ died for the people you're speaking to, that Christ had their name in his palm in this free gift. And here's the thing, God did this because there was no other way to save a lost human race. You think God would put God himself on a cross to such an ignominious way if there was some other way humanity could be saved? He spent 1,500 years with the Jewish people telling them, humans, giving them animal sacrifice, all right, on the high holy days, and yet they continued to sin day in, day out. There's only one way, Christ alone on the cross. While we were sinners, he still died for us. That's your God, you see. That's your God. Uh, and, and without God doing this for us, all of us, all of us here uh, in this church would face eternity outside of God. Uh, and we recognize this. Paul personalized, you see, this sacrifice perfectly in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, there he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life 
I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now you see that, that perfect summation of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. I no longer live. I don't live for myself. I live for him. I am crucified in him. My body is crucified spiritually with Jesus Christ. I don't care about myself. I am no longer a narcissist. Every day of my life, the question is, Lord, what do you want from me? How can I serve you? And that's the message that you have to give to a lost world because you see the sermon point for you here is this. Jesus was the only one who could bridge the unbridgeable gap between a holy God and a fallen humanity. Only one. God reconciled the world through the death of Christ on the cross. And that's how you have to deliver that message. It is not what we did to please God. Instead, all of this, you see, all of salvation, all of the gospel is a gift from God to bring us back from death to life everlasting through Christ. That is why Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Let me say that again. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Take all your philosophy, all your human re reasoning, all the books of self-help in the library and throw them in the garbage because none of that will get you to God. None of that. And if any person or pastor or even an angel tells you that, that is a lie from Satan. There's only one way, one way, Jesus, Jesus alone. And if you doubt what I'm saying, look at John 14, verse 6. And this is the verse that I read at every funeral that I will preside over until God takes the breath away from me. And that is as follows. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one, no exceptions, period. This is the message you have to deliver to a world. They need to understand this. This is spoken by Jesus Christ, the man who would be defeating death, who would walk out of a tomb three days later, who would walk with his disciples for 40 days. 500 eyewitnesses will see him. There's only one man in the history of the world who did that, and that's the man God who just gave you there for that verse. And so there on the cross, all of the sin of the world was poured onto Christ as he became our sin sacrifice for all time. And at the, at the cross, Jesus took every penalty, every penalty that you deserve and that God called him to be the sacrifice. Look at how Paul summarizes this in a beautiful way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. And these are verses that you need to share with the lost as you present the gospel. Paul gives a simple summation of the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ 
died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The sermon point is this. The gospel in a nutshell is this. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and was raised on the third day. This is the very cornerstone of our faith. Effectively, Jesus died for you. Don't overcomplicate the gospel. You understand? Don't overcomplicate the gospel. You don't need any fancy words or any fancy reasoning. You don't have to get a graduate degree from a, a seminary. Don't overcomplicate the gospel. Now, despite the fact that Paul was one of the most brilliant thinkers and orators of that day, he always, always reduced the gospel to simple terms. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. How about that? The cross of Christ does not need to be emptied of its power by your eloquence. Your eloquence is of no consequence whatsoever. Don't worry about the fact that you're not an eloquent person. You're out sowing the word of God. Look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, again, where he does it brilliantly about uh, the gospel. There he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. How about that? I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. And here is probably the most eloquent man in the entire Bible. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How about that? How about that? I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And here's the message for you. Deliver the gospel in a simple way, and then step out of the way and let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. You understand? Let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. Don't think you have to drag them across the finish line. That's not your job. Your job is to present the truth of the gospel. And so the, so the gospel, you see, is simply this. The message that we are all separated from God, that we've all fallen short of the mark, uh, and that the result of sin is an emptiness that is in our hearts, an ever-present guilt in which our consciences are borne down, and an ever-present uh, fear of death. That's what the world has. They're afraid to die because they don't know where they're going to go. But God, because he loved us so much, despite our rebellion, as we sat there and shook our fist at him, really, sent his son to die in our place. And so the sermon point for you is this. Don't be ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. It's what God wants you to deliver in its most simple form. The eloquence is so beautiful. Don't add to it. Don't take anything away from it. Just proclaim it 
and stand back and watch what God will do with it because it is the Holy Spirit that will move in after you have delivered the message. Now, here's the thing. You need to have patience and perseverance because for a lot of us, you're going to give the gospel to somebody and you're going to stand there and you go, well, you're ready to confess and become a Christian and you're not going to see something. And now you're going to become frustrated, okay? And I want to say this to you. You are not the Savior, all right? This is important to remember. You are not the Savior. You're the messenger. God will intervene through the Holy Spirit. He will touch them. He will convict them. He will bring them across the finish line. I have every belief that God will do that. And so the simple answer is, as you give the gospel, is we look for acceptance and conversion. That's important. That's what we look for. First, we must come to Christ with all of our shortcomings. Look, I hear people say to me, well, I'm not ready to come to Jesus. I have to clean up a lot of things in my life. I laugh when I hear that. No, you'll never clear up all the things in your life. Only he can clear up the things in your life. Get that out of your head. You have to come to Jesus in your miserable shortcomings right now. That's what you have to do. Look at what, what Jesus said in John 6, verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. How about that? You come to Jesus in your miserable, sinful state, and he will embrace you and love you and take you into the kingdom of God. He will not send you away, but you have to come and accept him. You have to accept this free gift. Now, look, conversion is not some long, drawn-out process. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's some churches, in order to become a member, it, it would take months and months of studying to become a membership. We don't believe that here. We believe that if you're a Christian, you're a member of this church. We believe that. Because I look at the, the gospel itself. There's no long, drawn-out conversion pros process. You accept Jesus Christ instantaneously, you're saved. Instantaneously, if God would call you, you're going to heaven. Instantaneously. And so it's important to know that. People know, however, that they must be taught that they have to come to Christ. It requires a lip process, a heart process. They have to speak. Uh, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not your job. It's his job. And we have to be mindful of that. Uh, and so the sermon point for you here is this. True conversion requires confession. They must be willing to confess and turn from their sins. Notice that. Turn from their sins. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and, for, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin. Father, forgive me for what I've done. Lord, I love you as my master and savior. I will follow you for the rest of my life. Instantaneously, they're saved. They're saved. I want you to know that. There's no other magic formula. Now, the, the second step that is necessary in this process is that we, we give uh, Christ the direction and control of our lives. I refer to this as the second day experience. The second day. The first day is you come and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, you have to take up the cross and walk with him every day of your life. 
You have to give him the control of your life. You are no longer in charge of your life. He is in charge. He's going to tell you where you go. He's going to tell you who you need to see. He's going to direct you uh, in, in terms of your paths. And we walk in obedience with him every single day of our life. He is not just our Savior. He is also our Lord and Master. Let's understand that. He is also our Lord and Master. And so we have to understand the plans that we have. You all have plans. I had plans. You think when I was 30 years old, I thought when I'm 73, I'm going to be preaching to a church? You honestly think that's what I thought? Let me, let me tell you, I never thought that in my life. I thought I'd be a lawyer to the end of my days. And God intervened and changed my life. But I will tell you this that I have come to recognize that every day of my life that I was in court, every word that I uttered, every brief that I wrote, every case that I presented was to prepare me for the day when I would be here. I mean that. Prepare me for the day that I was here because he had a greater call on my life. And that's what happens when you say, Lord, take my life. You are in control, not me. I deed everything that I'm doing to you, Father, in every way. And so here's the thing that you need to understand when you present this uh, to the lost world. There is a significant difference, you see, between remorse and repentance. You understand? Remorse is a human term. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry uh, that I hurt your feelings. But you see, repentance is entirely different. Repentance is being sorry and then being sorry enough to stop and change your direction. Change your life. Lord, that's really what repentance is, that I will not do this. I will not say this. I will change my life in every possible way. This is why Jesus said this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And the sermon point for you here is this. You can summarize all of what I've said in four simple points, and that is this. First, realize you are a sinner. Second, recognize Christ died for you. Third, repent of your sins. And fourth, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There it is. I've reduced it in its summary form. We have, to we have to explain to converts that this process is all about becoming a new person. You heard Paul say that earlier. Christ died for me. He lives within me. This is the point of being born again. You see, the world has distorted this term, born again. They've ruined it and to such an extent that many of us are ashamed to use the term born again because otherwise people think we're zealots or flakes. Well, let me assure you, you're no zealot. You're no flake. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus. Uh, and so what it means is that we have now comported our life in, in accordance with his will. We have taken his yoke and we have walked with it. Uh, and we are learning from him every day. We are no longer interested in our own things. We're interested in his life. Uh, and so as we walk and talk with Jesus Christ every single day, our hearts and our lives are changed forever. As you begin to read the word, it now comes alive. 
in a way that you never saw before. And here's a surprise. You can't wait to come to church. Is that a surprise? I remember as a kid, we would be in church almost every night. I dreaded going to church. All right? I dreaded going there with a bunch of old people. All right? I was just a kid, and my father would, would drag us out. But I thank God for all those days that we spent and those nights that we spent. And I'm sure my sister would agree with me because God was preparing my heart for this moment. This is what he was doing, and this is what you see, and that is why now you can't wait to come to church, all right? And I'm sure a lot of you can't wait to come Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock and help us move chairs. You understand? What's that about? That's what Jesus does. You see how he changes you and makes your life focused on what am I going to do to change God's will? to do the will of God to a lost world. And so here's the thing. In 1 John, we find the more, four markers of what's referred to as a true uh, conversion. These are the four markers. Uh, first, confession of Jesus as Lord. And this is found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. How about that? How about that? Then 1 John 3, verse 9, uh, we have an unhappiness over personal sin. The old you could sin, and you would block it off. Well, I'm just human. I'm no different than anybody else. But now that sin really contorts your life and convicts you. And look what, look at this, what 1, John 3, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 said. No one who was born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. That's the point. You're born again. You can't continue to sin. Yes, you may fall. Yes, you may fall down, but you will get up and walk and ask God to forgive you. And that's the difference, you see. That's the difference of being born again. Uh, then we look to fellowship with other believers. This is why we can't Wait to come to church. This is what God does for us. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. And, and I remind you, this was in the first century uh, that John wrote this. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belong to us. That's the fellowship that God directs. Look, we've seen it here in this church. There were many people that started off with us, and for some reason they have left. And that is not part of the fellowship that God has given us. This is the fellowship that God has given you. This is why you come out to church, to affirm this in the life of other people in a, in a powerful way. Uh, and finally, they are obedient to Christ's commands. They're obedient to Christ's commands. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. That's the message of the gospel. I've just distilled it for you in 30 minutes. Now you have it. Take it into your heart. Ask God to impress it in your heart. If you want a copy of these notes, speak to my wife. But I would say to you, this is how you need to be prepared to reach out to a lost world. You don't need your own philosophy, your own coaching, your own words. God 
has given you the gospel. Give it to the lost world in truth. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the message that you've given us. I thank you for the lesson that you've directed us to, Father, as we as a church will now be crossing the Jordan River into the home that you gave us. And now we recognize that there will be new people here, people that don't know you, but are going to be drawn to us. And so, Lord, I ask you that we be prepared to speak to them about you in truth, in truth, with the true gospel, in love. Help us, Father, to bring them from the sidewalk into the church. Help us never to leave any of them on the sidewalk or the curb, but rather to embrace them in love as we draw them closer to you. Lord, be with us this week. This is a busy week for us. Protect us. Give us strength as we, we encourage each other to put the church together so that next Sunday when we walk in, it will be your home ready for you to continue the work of God in every way. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.